I came across this story this week. Uh, back in January, in a, there's this one part of the world where it, is, it has been all over the place, but where it's particularly cold, uh, very, very cold. And uh, this uh, little girl, she's 10 years old, named Victoria. Uh, school let out, and uh, all the kids were going home in this cold place, and a blizzard started uh, to pour down snow and ice. And the kids were all going home, bundled up, trying to get back. But little 10-year-old Victoria never made it home. And uh, her mom started to worry as hour ticked by, another hour ticked by. And uh, so the mom called the authorities, uh, called the school first and calls the authorities. They can't find the little girl. They form a search party. And they go searching for this little 10-year-old Victoria. And they're scouring. I mean, as the blizzard is coming on, they're scouring everywhere they can to try to find out where she's at. Um, they're looking everywhere between the school and the house. They're, they're going in, in alleys. They're, they're, they're just going everywhere. Then night falls and the blizzard is still blowing and temperatures are falling and they're not able to find her. Worry begins to creep in. Uncertainty. Pictures in their minds of what the, what's going to be there. Uh, questions begin to be asked as the blizzard is, is blowing. Uh, how can you survive such a nightmare like this? How can you make it through such a dark night? Well, morning came, and the search party continued all throughout the night. Some of the search workers actually said in their thermal gloves, their fingers were freezing up, and, and they were really fearful of what to expect come light. As the blizzard raged all night and dumped over two feet of snow, they didn't even know if they'd be able to find her. Well, some of the searchers turned a corner, and there she was, under an awning, hugging a stray dog, perfectly alive, perfectly fine. The warmth of the dog kept her alive all night long, all through the night. So they get her, and they take her back to the emergency services, and she's totally fine. Nothing uh, was wrong with her. They said, the fact that we found her alive through such weather is just a complete miracle, well, what turned out is on her way home, this stray dog had sought her out in among all her friends, came to her. And she played with the dog, and then the blizzard came, and she was afraid of the storm and didn't know what to do. And so she just huddled up under this awning, hugging that dog all night long. She clung to the one who sought her out, and it saved her during the storm. And we're going to see that very thing right here as we look at Luke chapter 19. That's where we're going to be today. Luke chapter 19, talking about what does Jesus want for you? Want for you, specifically you, in your life today, here. What does Jesus want for you? What does Jesus have for you? Here in Luke 19, what you can find is if you read through Luke 19, we're going to start in the opening verses. If you use a Bible there in the pew rack, it's on page 878. You can just grab that Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, take that Bible home. It's yours. Keep it. Uh, it's yours. Uh, we've got some others we can replace it with, but we want everybody to have a Bible. Uh, but we're going to be in Luke chapter 19. Is Jesus here at the beginning of Luke 19? This is Palm Sunday. It's when sun comes up, Palm Sunday, when Luke 19 starts. So Jesus will finish that week being crucified and raising from the dead. But the morning of Palm Sunday, he's going to do a lot. He's going to be in Jericho, which is a good distance away from Jerusalem. He's going to walk to Jerusalem. 
Uh, he's going to get into Jerusalem, walk into the temple after having ridden on the donkey and had the palm branches and them sing Hosanna, hallelujah, uh, uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, he's going to walk into the temple and then he's going to walk out and spend the night in Bethany, about a mile and a half away. But when morning uh, breaks on Palm Sunday, he does something first. He walks into Jericho. You may have heard of Jericho. Somebody famous fit the battle there. Anybody? There you go. Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. Anyway, uh, Joshua fit, fought the battle there. But this is a different city. This is a little bit away from that because that city was demolished and wasn't rebuilt. And one guy tried to rebuild the city and, and several of his family members died, so he stopped. This is nearby, this Jericho. Uh, verse uh, 1 of uh, Luke chapter 19. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. Which is a song about Zacchaeus, right? It doesn't say he was a, a man of small stature. What does it say he was? A wee little man. Poor Zacchaeus. He really got the short end of the song straw there. Uh, but he, he, he's there in the city, and it calls him the chief tax collector, and he was rich. Now, I don't know how well you know Roman tax structure uh, from the first century, uh, but the way that it worked, let's say, let's say there was this one guy that Rome said, this guy owes $1,000 in taxes. And Rome would assign somebody to collect the taxes for a particular region. And they would say, okay, this guy owes $1,000. You go collect, collect the taxes from him. Uh, well, Rome didn't care how the money was collected as long as they got their $1,000. And so they would assign it to a guy. And so like a guy like the chief tax collector, he'd be in charge of a big region. He would get little underlings to go and collect the taxes. And so like Zacchaeus, chief tax collector, would get the report, okay, this guy owes $1,000 in taxes. Go collect them. So Zacchaeus would, would cross that out and say, no, he owes $1,500 in taxes. And then he would pass it off to his underlings and say, okay, go and collect the taxes. Well, the underlings would get that paper and see it crossed out and see it says $1,500 what the guy owes. And the underling, the regular tax collector, he would say, no, the guy owes $1,750 in taxes. And then he would go and bang on the guy's door and say, Rome says you owe $1,750 in taxes. And the guy would pay it, give it to the regular tax collector. He'd pull out his two fifty. dollars pass it off to the chief tax collector, he'd pull out his 500, pass it off to Rome, and Rome would be happy because they got their money. They didn't care that everybody else was corrupt. They didn't care about any of that as long as they got their money. That's all they cared about. And so here you got Zacchaeus, chief tax collector. He's a part of the system. Now, probably not every tax collector did that, but enough of them did that that it became history, that it became the stereotype and so Zacchaeus, we're going to find out, he's one of those guys who was corrupt. He would do this. He would steal money from people, and he would keep it for himself. But not only that, Zacchaeus was a Jew, a Jew working for the Roman government. The Romans, they considered to be the enemy. And so he's working for the enemy, stealing from his own people. They didn't like Zacchaeus very much at all. This is the idea of like a Jew living in Nazi Germany, working for the Nazis, betraying their own people. That's the way these Jews in first century viewed Zacchaeus. 
They didn't like him. They hated his guts. They wanted him to die. And here's Zacchaeus. With all this animosity around him, all these people he's stolen from, and they all know he stole from them because they're not about to say, yeah, I'm not going to pay my taxes. Because if they don't pay their taxes, then they're in trouble. Rome's coming for them. Even if they know the system's corrupt, they don't do it, they're in trouble, possibly going to die. And so they have to pay the taxes. Zacchaeus is stealing from them. But then Zacchaeus, corrupt Zacchaeus, he's heard about Jesus over the last couple years. Miracle man walking around, doing miracles, doing all this teaching. He wants to see Jesus for himself. But Zacchaeus was height challenged. The streets are lined with people. All of Jericho has come out to see Jesus. He's already amassed a crowd coming into town. He's got this big old crowd. The streets are lined. Zacchaeus is trying to hop up and down, can't really see over the people. And so he hops up in a sycamore tree, climbs this tree, and is hanging out there just above the head level of everybody else to see the parade. So that's where we find ourselves here. Uh, Look at verse 4. So he ran on ahead and climbed up in a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down from a stay at your house today. Now again, picture the scenario. Corrupt Zacchaeus, Jesus, holy man, everybody's praising him. He's walking through town. He stops the entire parade, stops the procession, stops the people singing praises, stops the conversation, and he stops in the middle of the road and shuts everything down, turns to corrupt Zacchaeus in the tree, says, hey, Zacchaeus, I'm having lunch at your house today. Why don't you go tell your wife real quick? And so Jesus does this in a way that everybody hears it. They all hate Zacchaeus. And here's Jesus, the man that they're all there to see, the man they're all there to praise and worship, saying he's going to go, and he's going to go to a house of a man who is corrupt and evil and terrible. And the way they viewed it is, if you're any sort of association with somebody, even in conversation, you would kind of take some of their uncleanness on yourself. But if you went in and had food with them, that's equivalent to saying you approve of them and everything they've done. That was the way the culture thought. That's not the way Jesus thought. That's not accurate at all in the way Scripture lays everything out. But that's the way the culture thought in that day, first century. And so Jesus there stops everything, tells Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house right now. So that upsets everybody in the crowd. Undoubtedly, it puts Zacchaeus in a little bit of a panic. Have you ever had somebody stop by your house out of the blue and you feel the need to put a whole spread before them, and you're kind of panicked. What do I have in the pantry? Okay. I guess we're going to have Ritz crackers and string cheese. I was supposed to go to Walmart today, but the pickup's not till 5. I, uh, I guess we'll, you know, I'll put it on the thing. Maybe it's a, you know, deconstructed grilled cheese. I'll just make it fancy. And you, you serve it out there. I and mean, we've got a whole host of drinks, water out of the fridge. So I hope you're, you're you know, if that's what you want, you're happy with that. Uh, we just drank the last Coke, so, you know, it's whatever. Um, and so here's Jesus I mean, it's the most famous man in all of Judea is now telling him, I'm coming to your house. Imagine somebody famous coming to your house. Somebody, President of the United States, the Pope, the Queen of England comes over to America, stops by the Queen, and she says, hey, I'm going to come by your house today. You cool with that? I don't have any towels for the Queen. 
Uh, yeah, sure, give me 15 minutes. I'm just going to run to the store just real quick. You know, the Queen Walmart. I'm gonna, they got everything. I'm sure they got queen towels. I'm going to go get everything, get it all lined up and be good. And uh, just picture that, all right? And Jesus says, I'm coming to your house. And Zacchaeus hops down the tree. Undoubtedly, he sends somebody out. You go tell my wife real quick. We're coming home, bringing a whole host of people. And it's Jesus. And so he sends the guy. Zacchaeus hops out of the tree. And uh, uh, look at verse 6. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. But the crowd, verse 7, when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. They were grumbled. It's like complained. They could not believe what they were seeing. And they call him a sinner. Now, this word sinner, the way they use the word there in that statement, in that phrase, somebody who displays sinful behavior, they're using it as a slang term in a derogatory way. They're using it to cut him down. He's going in to stay. I mean, if you could think of the uh, uh, worst name somebody could be called, that's what they're calling Zacchaeus. He's staying in the house of a sinner. A sinner! How? Who? What? what? Nobody goes near him. Nobody goes... They, they, they spit on the money when they hand it to him. Nobody goes near this guy. And here's Jesus, and they say, he's going in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. That's, they're trying to point out that Zacchaeus' sinful tendencies, kind of trying to ostracize him, push him outside, trying to uh, say Zacchaeus isn't worth this. Zacchaeus is, is less than. He's not worth our attention. He's definitely not worth the attention of Jesus. He's a sinner. Nobody better be looking at him. I'm not even going to say his name. I'm just going to call him a man who is a sinner. He's just, even his name in my mouth makes me sick. He is a terrible, terrible person. People didn't care for him at all. They disagreed with his decisions or even just the assumption of the decisions he was making. You ever had anybody grumble about you? Whether what they were grumbling about is true or not, you ever had people grumble about you just because of the assumptions they may have made about you? Your background, decisions you made, perception? People say perception is reality. No, it's not. Perception's assumption. Jumping to conclusions. Because look, when, when, when they're calling Zacchaeus a sinner, saying Jesus is going to stay with him, they're taking all of the, the uh, uh, presumed, perceived perception, all the perceived sins of Zacchaeus, and they're putting them on Jesus. They're saying Jesus is just like that if he's going to go in there with him. So the perception to the crowd is Jesus is just like Zacchaeus. Jesus is just as much a sinner as Zacchaeus because he's associating with him. But perception is not reality. Reality is reality. Jesus is not a sinner. Jesus is looking out for Zacchaeus. Jesus is concerned about Zacchaeus. He's not concerned about what the people say. He's not concerned about anything that their opinion might be or what perception is. Jesus is concerned about Zacchaeus and his eternal destination. You see, that's the thing. Jesus cares about you, not what people say about you. Jesus cares about you, not any of that other stuff that's being jawed about, that's going around and, and whatever. Jesus cares about you, even as, if as a result of all this other stuff, you're sitting by yourself. Even as a result of all this other stuff, you, 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 you feel alone in a room full of people. Even as a result of a lot of this other stuff, you can be 
sitting in your house, having thoughts of, am I really worth it? Nobody understands what this experience is like. Nobody gets it. I'm just here. Nobody would really miss me. And those thoughts begin to creep in and seep in. But Jesus cares about you. So much he came and he died for you. For you. And he created you for you to be here, to do some great things for him. Jesus cares about you. Not what other people say about you. Not even, even if what people are saying is true. Big deal. You turn to Jesus now, all forgiven. All love it. All love it. Here's Zacchaeus. We're going to see in a minute. All that stuff they thought he did, he did it. People not sure how they're going to pay for their next meal, he stole their last meal. He stole from everybody. And here Jesus is caring about that guy. The guy who everybody in town hates because he stole from them. And Jesus is going to see him. Because Jesus cares about his eternal destination just as much as anybody else. Nobody is too far gone for Jesus. Nobody. And so here's Jesus going to Zacchaeus. And I'm coming to your house. They're calling Zacchaeus a sinner, a man not worth the time of Jesus. Jesus chose to go with Zacchaeus. The people then were trying to paint Jesus with the same brush they had painted Zacchaeus. But Jesus was willing to associate with somebody who was devalued by the community culture. But the person was valuable to Jesus no matter what other people said. And so Jesus went with Zacchaeus. But on the way, Zacchaeus stops everything and, and, and says, Jesus, I need to get right. Look at verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to Jesus, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And everyone in the crowd goes, If? <laughs> if you've defrauded anyone? He says, If I've defrauded anyone, I'll restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house since he's also a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. So Zacchaeus, in meeting with Jesus, having Jesus care for him, and Zacchaeus' realization that Jesus cares for him, Zacchaeus' heart was changed. And he wasn't contemplating, he wasn't doing calculation in his head. Okay, how much do I have to sacrifice in order to, to feel good and have everybody look at me like I'm good. Zacchaeus' first instinct was, I'm just going to sacrifice everything. He said, I'm just going to instantly cut everything I own in half. All my money, I'm going to give half of it away. All my possessions, I'm going to sell half of all of them and give that away. And then on top of that, all the people I stole from, and I've got good records, I'm a tax guy. All the people I stole from, I'm going to give them back four times as much as I stole. Now, you math people are thinking, this guy's going to have zero dollars. <laughs> Possibly so. But for Zacchaeus, the issue wasn't how much money he's going to have left over. The issue was Jesus had changed him. And he wasn't going to live on stuff that 
had been the result of fraud, had been the result of, of a lifestyle he didn't want anymore. And if that meant everything had to change in his life, he was willing to accept it. If he was going to start over completely, maybe from a new profession, maybe he was going to be the only honest tax collector in Rome from this point forward. We don't know. It doesn't tell us. But we do know Zacchaeus, his life changed in that second that he met with Jesus. Jesus came to him. Jesus sought him out. Did you see that in verse 10? The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus sought Zacchaeus out from among the crowd to bring him salvation. I mean, there were lots of people there in the crowd, but Jesus didn't point all them out. He pointed out Zacchaeus, the one who probably, according to the crowd, had the biggest list of transgressions. But Jesus sought him out, one that nobody else wanted. Jesus sought him possibly, let's just, for the sake of, of what it appears to be in the scripture, when he says, I seek and save the lost, Jesus went to Jericho for this moment. He could have gone any other route to Jerusalem, but he chose to go through Jericho because Zacchaeus needed Jesus. He went there for Zacchaeus. He started his day out. He was about to go to Jerusalem, and they're going to lay palm branches on the ground, and he's going to get on the donkey, and they're going to be praising him, and the Pharisees are going to have a problem, and he says, if these people don't praise, and even the rocks are going to cry out, and he goes in, and he's going to be crucified in five days, and before any of that starts, he goes to Jericho for Zacchaeus. He stops his entire schedule for the day so he can talk to Zacchaeus. I mean, you read on in, in chapter 19, he gets to the temple and he's not able to do stuff there because at the end of the day, he's got to go back to Bethany. And then he comes back the next day and he clears the temple and he teaches in the temple. Maybe if he had bypassed Jericho, he could have done more on Sunday. But if he had bypassed Jericho, we wouldn't be reading about Zacchaeus coming to Jesus. He went to Jericho after Zacchaeus. He sought him out. Because Zacchaeus needed help. And Jesus cares about everybody. But you got to understand, though, Jesus is seeking us out, but he's not the only one seeking us out. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5. Peter writes, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. What's that word? Seeking someone to devour. The enemy is seeking. That word devour, it means... Uh, destroy or ruin. So the enemy's seeking you to ruin you, to destroy you. But Jesus is seeking for a different reason. See, the enemy wants you destroyed, but Jesus wants you saved. He wants you saved, saved for, for, from uh, 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 the, the effects of a life of poor decisions, saved from e eternal punishment, saved from the worry and anxiety and pressures of this life. Jesus wants you saved. He wants to give you life and life abundant in service to, to his purpose for creating you. Jesus wants you saved all while the enemy wants to destroy you. So all those little thoughts that creep in, that, that try to bring discouragement, that try to bring anxiety, that, 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 that try to pull you off of the path of where God has you go, that is from the enemy to try to bring you down because he's seeking you out. He's prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He's looking for 
someone to latch onto, grab a hold of, dig into. You ever felt dug into by the enemy? Like he's just not, he's hanging on and not letting go. He's, he's, just, like, just give me this five minutes, just five minutes break, please. But he's latched on and he's not letting go. He's seeking you out. But in the same way, Jesus in Luke 19.10, he's seeking us out to bring salvation. He's seeking us out to bring salvation. Salvation. Eternal salvation. Immediate salvation. Relief. Peace. Strength. He's seeking you out. Kind of like a game of hide and seek, but with eternal consequences. And when he gets you, like Zacchaeus, everything changes. Jesus sought Zacchaeus out in the crowd. And his touch, his influence changed Zacchaeus. Yeah, I was reminded of a story this morning. It's not in my notes. Um, I was watching one of the greatest preachers of all time, and he told this old story I'd forgotten about. Uh, but there was an auction and they're auctioning off all this valuable stuff. There's a friend of the auctioneer had, had wanted to sell this violin. And, uh, but the violin was all beat up, all out of tune, didn't look worth anything. But as, as, as a favor to his friend, the auctioneer pulled out the violin and held it up and kind of you know, looked at it and said, okay, who wants to start the bidding at, you know, $10? It's quiet for a little bit. Somebody says, oh, I'll, I'll do 10, I guess. Somebody else said 20. It's okay, $20. He's looking around, trying to get, trying to get 25 if he can, 22.50. Nobody else is raising their hand. And he goes, okay, going once, going twice. And about that time, a, a gray-haired man with a cane stands up in the back. Auctioneer stops, recognizes the man. The man walks up to the front. He takes the violin. He dusts it off, cleans it up, polishes it up, tunes it takes the bow, and then the man plays a song. And the song is the best song any of you have ever heard, better than an angel's song. Puts half the room in tears. The man sets the violin down. The room is quiet. All they can hear is the man walking back to his seat with his cane, clacking on the floor. He sits down. The auctioneer gets his voice back and says in almost a whisper, all right, well, Let's start the bidding again. $1,000, the violin goes for. Some people in the room are looking real confused. Auction ends, they come up to the auctioneer, these confused people, and they say, I don't understand. I don't, I don't get it. What's the difference? What changed the, the value of the violin? And the auctioneer said, well, it was the touch of the master's hand that changed the value. When Jesus touches you, everything changes. He's the master. He's the creator. He changes you. Everyone else can see what they want to see in you, in the value they see. They may see nicks and cuts and bumps and bruises and scars that haven't healed over and pain from the past. They may see decisions in the past. They may see, they may see what they want to see. But when the master gets a hold of you, 
He can play something with your life nobody thought possible. We've got to let him do it, though. We've got to let him tighten those strings. We've got to let him tune us up. We've got to let him clean us off. And we've got to let him play. Because at the touch of the master's hand, everything changes. Everything changes. It's the master who infuses us with value. Not what other people say about us. Remember, people are saying all kinds of stuff about Zacchaeus. But it was Jesus who said, hey, you guys are misjudging Zacchaeus altogether. Because I see value. I see worth. And we're going to put pause on this whole Palm Sunday idea while I go have lunch at Zacchaeus' house. And we eat those Ritz crackers and string cheese. And we're going to hang out for a minute, talk for a minute, and then we'll go on and we'll do the rest of the Palm Sunday stuff. But we're going to stop because Zacchaeus is valuable. Zacchaeus is worthwhile. And we're not going to bypass him just because you people want to. You people don't see it. He's worth it. Jesus sought Zacchaeus out on the crowd. And here's the thing you got to understand. This isn't just a first century deal. Jesus is here today seeking you out in this crowd. Jesus doesn't stop. He keeps seeking us out. He keeps coming after us. Because I want to point something out to you. In Jesus seeking you out even here, there's something else that had to be done. Jesus sought Zacchaeus out. Look at verse 6. It said, he hurried and came. He received him joyfully. Jesus came to Jericho for Zacchaeus. But Zacchaeus still had to come to Jesus. He could have just set, set up in that tree. Said, nope, I'm not coming down. <laughs> These people down at the bottom of the tree, they're going to kill me. Jesus could, Zacchaeus may not have even gone to the tree. But Jesus came to Zacchaeus in Jericho. Zacchaeus still had to come to Jesus. And so the question for you today is, will you come to Jesus? However he's coming to you. Maybe you need to come to Jesus in salvation like those three kids last night. Maybe some of the other kids are sitting here saying, you know, I was debating with Jesus all night long in my head. I didn't get any sleep last night because I was just arguing with Jesus all night long. Stop the argument. That's the enemy trying to keep you from doing what Jesus wants you to do. Believe in Jesus. Come to Jesus. You know, right at the, the last few verses of the Bible, I've mentioned this before. You know what it says? Come. All come. Come to Jesus today. Come in salvation. Maybe you need to come in baptism. We're about to baptize a few right now. Jared's going to baptize. I'm going to baptize. If you need to be baptized, you believed in Jesus, and now you want to show the world you belong to Jesus, you can come. You say, man, I don't know. I'm not wearing, you know, I didn't bring any clothes to get wet in. Well, we got some robes. We got some t-shirts. You can wear your t-shirt under your robe. But, I mean, we cover stuff. But you, we, we can get baptized right now. Don't put it off. Don't let anything be an excuse. We got towels, hair dryers, whole shebang. Don't let anything be an excuse. Because we got all kinds of excuses. And the enemy can bring all kinds of excuses up. But if, if you need to come to Jesus and believe today, come. If you need to come and be baptized, come and be baptized. If you need to come and put your life in this church and join the church and say, you know what, I, God is doing, I need to come. He told me to. I need to, I need to stop arguing with him and I need to put my life here. Then come and do that. Maybe you need to put your life in Jesus' hands in, in ministry and say, I need to go where he wants me to go and do what he wants me to do and be who he wants me to be. 
Will you come to Jesus today? Wherever it is, he's meeting you. Will you come to him today? Come to Jesus. He's coming for you. Come to him. Y'all pray with me. God, I thank you. I thank you for right here in Luke 19, coming for Zacchaeus. And we've all heard the song about him being a wee little man, climbing up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And sometimes what that does is that downplays the severity of the situation because of our familiarity with the story. But God, I pray that we would, all of us, see ourselves in Zacchaeus. A sinner in need of a savior. A struggler in need of strength. A lonely person in need of comfort. Someone enduring pain, needing relief. An anxious person in need of peace. Maybe someone in need of restoration and healing from long past scars or fresh ones. God, I pray that we would all come to you. We would all come to you and not try to do the spiritual doctoring ourselves, but we would come to the great physician, the healer of all time, and find in him the touch of the master's hand that brings us healing, peace, strength, salvation. God, come to us as you already promised you have. Give us the strength and the boldness to come to you. Come to us, God. Help us come to you. In your name I pray, amen.